0: this morning's session, different sales for different scales. We have David Swain uh, from Fino, Sepports field and Fino Barossa. <laughs> uh, we have Jenny uh, Mitten from uh, the Lalanga Farmer's Market and we have Neil Ritalik from the uh, Barossa Co-op. So who are they? David is the executive chef and co-owner of South Australia's regional dining brand, Fino, Sepports, uh, Fino Field. He boasts a culinary career of more than 35 years as exceptional and authentic as the food he creates. David's thoughtful approach and deep understanding of regional food and cooking techniques makes him one of Australia's most highly regarded chefs. After 14 years of success and a multitude of awards for Fino, David also contributes as a South Australian judge for the Delicious Produce uh, Awards. Jenny is the general manager of the Wollonga Farmers Market. She's part of a team that currently delivers what was South Australia's first farmers market every Sunday here in Wollonga. Having a passion for community and event management over the past two years, she has enjoyed immersing herself in all that is Wollonga Community and Farmers Market. Each week around 2,000 loyal shoppers and visitors show up for fresh Floreau produce. Authenticity is at the heart of the market's ethos, and Jenny enjoys working with her team to ensure the storeholders uphold these values and that the market continues to be a thriving place for farmers and producers to do business. Neil Ritalik, the CEO of Barossa Co-op, has a very varied um, life. He graduated from Adelaide Uni with a commerce degree majoring in industrial sociology and started work in the state public service, but he took off in 1976 to circumnavigate the world. He spent three months in a kibbutz in Israel and, just to be different, was a bricklayer in Germany for the summer. After some very different marketing roles, Neil has since 1999 been involved with mutual organisations and is committed to the membership model of business ownership as was practised by National Pharmacies and more recently Friendly Pharmacy in New South Wales, where he helped provide real value for their members. In early 2018, he joined the Barossa Co-op in the role of Chief Executive Officer. His member-based organisation is the largest retail cooperative in Australia. Serving around 23,000 members, it employs 300 people and has a turnover of 60 million. So, welcome our speakers, please. Awesome to have you here. Have you worked out who's first? You good? So, each-
1: about 10 minutes and I'll time you. How would you like to be timed? Eight minutes or two to go, five, five? Tell me. Yeah. My 12-year-old timed me. I think I'm OK. <laughs> <laughs> 10 minutes and then kill? Yeah, yeah okay. sure. Hi, thank you, Anne-Marie, and thanks for the opportunity to um, have a chat today. Um, so the Wollonga farmers market is an authentic market. Um, as Anne-Marie said, we've been operating uh, here in Wollongong every Saturday for the past 17 and a half years. We operate with an average of 70% fresh and 30% value-added stallholders, and we see an average of 2,500 people through the market each week, um, and the market is frequented by um, locals and also visitors to the region. Um, The market is built on a membership uh, model where customers pay to be a member of the market and in return receive discount um, on all of their purchases as well as other benefits. Membership supports the operation of the market, um, keeps stall fees down and assists to fund uh, projects such as our um, farmer's market scholarship that we award each year. Um, It's a $15,000 $15,000 scholarship um, with uh, $12,000 cash and $3,000 in mentorship um, for an aspiring, uh, inspiring farming startup. Um, we're committed to sustainability of farming on the Flurio and encouraging young farmers to enter the industry. Um, So, who's making money at the Wollongong Farmers Market and other farmers markets around Australia? Um, Firstly, to be honest, um, we don't have um, figures and stats nationally on producer turnover they're not telling us. Um, there has, however, been a model developed in Victoria um, where producers at the Castlemaine and Bendigo Farmers Markets will anonymously share their weekly sales um, with the management over there and this will assist these markets when seeking funding support from local and state government in the future. So it's certainly something that we'd like to, to look at um, here in Wollongong as well. Um, fresh producers here in Wollongong um, are doing well. They've been, we've got stalls that have been trading for many years, um, some right from the very first market that was held um, over in the Alma car park, um, and they stopped selling to wholesale agents, um, growing produce based on customer request and demand, and simply falling in love with the market lifestyle. The pride of receiving feedback about their product from those that are consuming it and it creates great social connection and personal satisfaction. Um, fruits, proteins, including Meg's, uh, Meg's. meat, eggs and dairy. Um, and I think you've heard from Chris and Emily, um, local farmers with their amazing sourdough. They're also doing well. The storytellers, um, those stalls who have embraced the world of social media and digital marketing to keep their customers informed about what's available, taking special orders, building their brand and a loyal following of customers who then spread the good word about their produce and, and the market. Um, offering good value, um, bundling products, perhaps buy two and receive one, uh, a third one for free, min- minimal packaging and loose produce so that customers can purchase as little or as much as they choose. The constants, Um, customers who choose to chop at a farmer's market, um, are obviously making a conscious decision um, to be there, often planning their weekend activities um, around a visit to the market to stop, stock up on their produce for the week, and they're really disappointed um, when their favourites come and go without any notice. It is a farmer's market, not a supermarket, and customers do need to be educated around the seasonal flow of produce, uh, and the farmers are the best spokesperson um, for, for the product to let customers know when and when not to expect them. Um, So what's different about these stalls? Um, Talking with other market managers around Australia, there were really common themes around uh, successful stalls. Successful stallholders understand um, that at a farmer's market, the stallholder is selling a story and an experience. Stalls who are able to engage with patrons on a storytelling level consistently do well. People shop at a farmer's market primarily for the experience, let's face it, it is much more convenient to go to a supermarket that's um, open um, a great range of hours, there's trolleys for your shopping and you're only required to do one transaction. When storeholders can give background, context, experiences and perhaps some funny stories about their product, people engage um, and feel like they're supporting a friend. These storeholders understand that it's the market's role to get people to the market and then it is then their responsibility to get people to stop at their stall and purchase. They make their stall look great. Their branding is excellent the complete package, Um, not just a good logo and a sign, but a brand that embraces customer service and knowledge of other stalls in the market so they can direct their customers around um, to find other things. They'll have a good presence on social media, um, and they may have their own uh, mailing list and letting customers know what's what's available at the stall. They'll pick up the phone or email and let us know um, something to, to share with our, share with their customers, and that makes our life much easier. Um, stalls that are offering electronic payment um, options for customers are seeing an uplift in sales as well, and we've seen a huge increase. Um, at the, at the Wollongong Farmer's Market, there's obviously a huge you know, cash um, transactions, but stalls that have introduced um, electronic payments have seen a, a, an increase in their sales. Um, Brenda Oakey of Allender Farms, um, she's a weekly farmer's market trader and the South Australian producer rep um, on the AFMA uh, board, um, states her top three reasons for trading at a farmer's market. 25 to 30% return selling through an agent. versus 100% at a farmer's market. She can sell everything. There's no grading of her produce and no wastage. And it's cleaner farming. She's not forced to use chemicals, often required to sell through an agent for consistency of product look and size. It's good for her health, she says, and for her customers. Uh, another example of success here in Wollongong uh, would be Feather and Peck pasture-raised eggs. Um, they have a weekly stall and see um, use uh, the farmers' market as a retailer, um, Wollongong being their second um, biggest outlet where they're selling on average 300 dozen eggs per week and then their largest retailer, uh, retail outlet being the Adelaide farmers' market where they sell an average of 500 plus dozen um, per week. They tell their story through signage and verbally. The market provides an opportunity for them to sell excess supply, smaller eggs and trays of 30 eggs, commonly known as slabs of eggs, um, king-size eggs which don't travel well and uh, to other retail outlets. No waste, and it's a win-win. They also work with other stallholders who use their products, breakfast stalls and baked goods, and these stalls become advocates for the quality of their product. At the Adelaide Farmers Market, they also use the opportunity to promote other metro based retailers of their eggs, so grocery stores and um, butchers, etc. They also educate uh, metro based customers um, on their farming practices. So, in summary, um, the presentation of stall and self, um, letting you know, customers know where the produce is farmed, how it's farmed, the farmer being present um, and being able to, to answer questions and hand sell their product. Um, redistributing stock levels throughout um, the market. They say the early bird catches the worm, um, but um, many of the late arrivals to the market are often visitors or first-timers who've slept in and don't realise you need to come early. Um, so, storeholders that are um, you know, moving their stock around rather than just packing up and, and wanting the pa- uh, time to pass by are attracting uh, those later customers to the market um, and doing quite well. Um, So what can farmers do to get the most out of attending a market? Um, Embrace and make a a commitment to the market. Farming can be an isolating and lonely gig. You're at the mercy of the seasons and other challenges, and the spirit of a farmer's market is good for you. Building social networks and connections, new collaborations, is is the stuff that farmer's markets are full of. Um, An example that was shared with me recently, the Bellingen Farmers Market um, on the East Coast, which I think has just been running for four weeks. Um, They shared a story with me about a farmer who reached out to them. He'd been selling to supermarkets large scale for 30 years. And about 18 months ago, he changed his farming practices with some mentoring, scaling down and, and growing cleaner produce he heard about the farmers market and reached out to see if he could have a stall and after selling out in the first week um, he reported at the end of this second market with tears in his eyes um, that he had made more money in t- than two weeks of selling to coals. and more importantly for him for the first time in 30 years he'd had customers thanking him for the produce that they had enjoyed and coming back to buy more. As well as selling direct to consumers of your product, markets do offer a place to build wholesale relationships with local cafes and restaurants. Local chefs who frequent markets or visit to do cooking instructions are always on the lookout for for what's in season and something new. Um, Collaborating with market management and fellow stallholders makes the market better for everybody. So in summary, uh, farmers markets can offer you a positive environment to sell direct to consumers, build a loyal base and enjoy greater return for your efforts. You will also be rewarded with an experience of a workplace that is socially rich and know that you are increasing access to better food for your community. And that's all.
2: Um, Good morning. I moved here 20 years ago from Melbourne and moved here for a, a school and I moved here for a regional change from a big city. Yep. Um, I started working at a restaurant called Salopian in down the road from here with Pip Forrester, and she was very entrenched into the community. Um, her menus were seasonal. Her menus were based around the produce of the Fleury Peninsula, I had come from Melbourne and I was using produce from many, many different areas of Victoria where Pip was basically, she asked me to just create menus from what I could find on the Fleury Peninsula. Luckily, there's so much here, it was fantastic. Um, We changed, instead of doing seasonality in a menu, we, we actually used the produce. So it was a small menu. I could change it weekly, I could change it daily. So if I had something special for a week, We had it for a week, and that was good. So that sort of cemented the way I I started cooking and started looking at produce from what I could get from people growing around here. There's so many ancient orchards around here there's so many people who grow in small scale that was just being dropped off to us at the back door every morning so it was a really exciting time for me as a chef because I'd been in big city in big restaurants where the produce was just from big suppliers it had no flavour it, it, and that's what got me into its regional cuisine of what I wanted to do so if I have three ingredients on a plate if I have broad beans, peas and goat's curd I can't hide anywhere, so I need the produce to be the most flavoured produce that I can find. So I could only find that through actually small growers producing beautiful food. Um, in 2006, I opened Fino Walunga, which was just across the road from here, and I kept going with that seasonality and um, small production scale of farming. I worked closely with um, chicken producers to get the chickens we wanted, the right size, the right breeds, duck producers. Um, so there's, instead of just using product from large producers, we actually worked with farmers to get the product we wanted for our restaurant. My cooking technique is very simple. Um, I let the produce showcase, so we don't do a lot to the food, even in Barossa now, it's still the, the produce that shines through, and uh, not the cooking technique. When we moved to Barossa, it was from a small 40-seater restaurant to 140-seater. So we had all these problems with how can we scale up the production from small product so we can run that weekly and every week. We couldn't change the menu as often. We started with a whole page on all the producers we used to work with and still work with, but found that was almost telling a lie to the customer because I might get leaks on a Friday, but those leaks will be gone by Sunday. So I might say this is from this farm, but that was a lie on Monday because the leeks we were using on a Monday were not from that farm, it was from another farm. So we've got floor staff now who tell the story on where the product is from daily, so we don't have that issue. I mean, we will get three lambs a week. Those three lambs might be gone by Monday too. So we'd then use another supplier. So it's all about telling the story of the product and um, getting through to the general public why it's so special to eat regional food and so special to to be in the regions eating the product from the regions. Adelaide, all the chefs are actually coming to the the party and telling a story about produce now. It's really important that we have a connection to the farms so we can tell the story of the farmer too. It's um, very interesting to see how the food and restaurants have changed over the last 10 years. Um, it's more about the product, less about the chef. Chefs can be really tricky people. Um, and it's 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 great that there is a relationship back to the farm. It started throughout the regions. I, I do believe the best restaurants in Australia are in the regions, not in the cities. And that is because they have a very close connection to the actual product that they are cooking. Um, the issues we have in many ways are storage space in our in our cool rooms. We might get product once a week from s- small growers and that's always been an issue for a bigger production kitchen. Um, we'll get a lot of product, product on one day and we have to organise that So we can last that for three or four days. So we have... In the Barossa, we have worked... where We've got farmers that drop stuff off Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. We have bits coming in on the Sundays also. So we can keep that production and the continuity of the product right through the week. Um, I'm I'm still amazed that we can go through a huge amount of product just in a day. It's, It's an amazing amount how much we can sell in one day. Just thinking... You, you might think, oh, we, restaurants don't use a lot of product, but they can use huge amounts of product. So it's always, it's always interesting to see how much a small restaurant can turn through. I mean, we've got, we used to have chicken growers up in the Clare Valley. We'll go through 150 chickens a week, um, which is a lot. we would all come in on a Wednesday, and then we have to produce those and get them through for the whole week. But, you know, that they may not, if we have a busy week on chickens, then they may not run right through. So, we, as a chef, we need flexibility to be able to keep that product running through, but also change it up when we can. Um, I'm not sure what else I need to say. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you.
3: Yeah, thank you. Um, what do you need to do to get into a supermarket? I'll run through um, some of the basics and then get to the interesting part of the end. Regulatory. You know, we work in a, in a regulatory environment in supermarkets and we're driven by that. So you need to understand Australian consumer law. You need to have a supply contract in place, a, a terms of agreement document. You need to understand your responsibilities to the consumer, which are small in reality in most cases. Um, your right to supply, your, your food safety number certificate, ongoing food audits so that we know as, as a supermarket uh, that we can buy from you with confidence. Uh, packaging obligations, used by or best before, you have to make that decision. Packed on date uh, for baked goods, really. Storage instructions, if there are any. Uh, this is all your responsibility to tell. Um, the supermarkets. Um, you'll need to have public and products liability insurance, and you'll need to be able to prove your certifications in terms of organics, biodynamics, anything else. Um, all of that's important because supermarkets are not good retailers generally. Uh, supermarkets in Australia have evolved into being the end part of the logistics process, the supply chain, they're the, the, the last interface. Uh, But I've worked across every retail industry in Australia and uh, the the worst retailers are the supermarkets. So there's a regulatory framework that they have to be compliant with. That means you have to be compliant with it as well. Um, I I mentioned logistics. Cold chain might be an issue for your product so you need to be aware of that and understand how that's going to work. You need to understand the ordering and receiving processes for the supermarket. OK, because they have processes, you know, Barossa Co-op has uh, 56 local suppliers, as well as dealing with Metcash, we buy hundreds of thousands of dollars every week, and we have one methodology for receiving into our receiving dock. Uh, that's driven again by work health and safety regulations, food regulations and so on. Not a lot of flexibility, you need to be willing to work with the supermarkets. Um... And you also need scalability, because if you get a product into the supermarket, it's a bit what David's talking about in the restaurant business, you may need to increase your production. If you're doing a farmer's market, 500 dozen eggs sounds like a lot, that's fantastic. Um, but but uh, we've had small suppliers come into the supermarket, place their first order, it's been quite good, sold out in three days. Well, we haven't got another crop for another week or two weeks the supermarket will look for consistency and on-shelf presence. That's really important. So if you decide you want to sell to a supermarket, and I'm really only talking about the independence here, not Coles or Worth, that's another discussion, um, you need to find out who to talk to. Go into the store, ask for the owner or the store manager, depending on whether the owner owns a number of stores, he may have a manager, or he might be the bloke that's unpacking the bananas. You need to talk to them, you need to set up a meeting, you need to understand that your presentation might be, in fact, standing up out the back. Not a sit-down meeting, but you might be standing there, by a pallet, trying to flog your product, and and talk to the owner or manager, explain why you can do something for their business. You need to have a lead-behind, you need to have samples. You need to know who your competition is, what the category is in that store, who you're competing against, who you're going to try and displace if that's the case because it's often one in, one out in the supermarket environment because they're fixed to shelves. Uh, So you need to have an understanding of how you can improve that person's business. Owners and managers are there to make a profit. That is their job. If they don't do that, they're not doing their job. Um, and so, you need to be able to explain why your offer is better for that person. Now, it may be that that's a distinctive offer. You've got something special about your product. Might be certification, might not. It could be whatever it is. It could be the soil, it could be the way you farm, the way you produce, any of those things. You need to be distinctive. You're not just another person who grows leeks. You know, there's something that you do that makes your leeks so special. Um, Better profit margins is always attractive, of course, to people trying to make profits and that can be good um, if you can do that. Uh, And of course the quality has to be excellent. Your quality has to be better than what's on the shelf. It can also be more convenient for the customer in the way that you package or present your product okay, and it could also be fresher. Um, It could also be more convenient for the store because you are willing to deliver three times a week whereas others are not, larger organisations. In terms of pricing, you don't have to be proactive about setting the pricing per se. My suggestion to you is you try and have a conversation about pricing with the owner or manager before you make a commitment to what your pricing will be. Try and get an understanding of what their parameters are, what they're looking for. Uh, Herb Cohen, who's a very famous American uh, negotiation guy, said that in negotiation, he who speaks first loses. Certainly the Chinese believe that and the Japanese believe that if you've ever had to negotiate with them or heard about that. So just try and get an understanding of what they are looking for, what you want, because you can go back on price. That's not an issue. Um, supermarkets are lousy retailers. I say that being responsible for a quite a large supermarket, but I don't think we're good at what we do. I really don't, uh, in terms of the way other retailers go to market. I think a farmer's market is a much better <coughs> food experience than shopping in, a super, in an independent supermarket, including ours. That's just a statement of fact. That's why food markets, farmers' markets, are the fastest-growing retail format in Australia today. And shopping in a Woolworths and Coles is just about the worst experience you can ever have. Um, but you are responsible for your product in that store. Do not think that those people will work for you. They might like you. They might want your product to succeed. They will not do it. They've got 18 or 20,000 products in their store okay, to look after and there's 40 hours in a week so you can work out how many seconds of attention you'll get. You are responsible for the success of your product. So when you present to the store, talk to them about a three-month three-month promotional program. Okay, This is what I can do to get my product well-known in your store. We can come in and do samplings. We can be the farmer in the store talking about our products. You know, there's some guys that do eggs for us in the valley and, and their roosts are like caravans, you know. The coops are like caravans and they move them around the paddocks. There he is, yeah, yeah, excellent. So I didn't know that but I was in the store one day and there was this bloke here talking about the eggs and, that, and it's just a fantastic story. But he had to come in the store and tell a story. the story. Didn't do, the store didn't do a very good job of, do, of, of promoting that. And if you go back after he's left, the eggs are still just the eggs on the shelf with everybody else's eggs. You have to help drive the business. I mean, I say that. I think we can get better, uh, and independent supermarkets are probably better than the chains. Cooking demonstrations are good. People like that stuff and the smell and whatever in the store, the theatre is terrific and attract people. Educational flyers, why am I so good? Leave a takeaway on the top of the shelf. My, my product is great because blah, 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 this is what I do. You know, and the staff can use those uh, with the product. Any promotional collateral in store that you can use, shelf talkers, wobblers, anything that you can create will be really effective uh, in the store because stores are fairly static. The last thing I'll say there is avoid price discounting that no-one ever grew a brand in the history of the world by reducing the price of their product. All they did was revalue their product. If you believe in your product, you'll charge for it what is a fair and reasonable price in the context of the market. And it may well be the premium price. And that's fine. When the store manager or owner says, well, what will you give me? Let's discount it and get some volume. Don't do it. Work against it. Lots of activity in the store is much better at building your brand than price discounting. You may need to, on the opening offer, sweeten it by saying, I'll give you an extra you know, discount or whatever for the opening order. Uh, that's fine. He can pocket that margin, but do it on the basis that he'll pocket the margin, because that's what he's after, not based on the fact that because you've given him an extra 20%, he, he wants you to drop the price by 20%. Price discounting is, it kills premium products and it never built a brand. Um, In terms of independent supermarkets in Australia, Foodland today has 25 per cent of the South Australian market. So, you know, it's a decent business and they're people worth talking to, no question about it. Uh, A big part of that is Drake's. But Drake's is splitting out of Foodland, uh, first of October or November later this year, so they'll be separate. So the Foodland share drops down to 20 per cent. I'm almost done. Um, So. You'll need to, There are different groups to talk to, but talk directly to the supermarkets. I'm not talking about going to Metcash in any of this, and I don't suggest it. You want to be a direct supplier to the supermarkets, OK? Um, and you've got to be distinctive. Um, that will do me. I'll stop there. No, no, that's fine. i just to simply say that shopping local, you know, is not a call to action. You know, if the local product is not good or it's not presented well, it's not available, then shopping local is meaningless. You've got to be... uh, really emphasise this in the retail environment. You've got to be distinctive. You've got to have a story to tell. But you've got to understand the regulatory requirements as well. Thank you.
0: Fantastic. Thank you, Uh, panel, for giving us these insights. And, um, yeah, really brilliant... Uh, these models, and I guess what we would like to tease out in this session is what does what benefit does the buyer uh, bring to the growers with their model and their requirements? But I thought, and we opened it for the, uh, the, uh, questions, and so on, but I thought it might be interesting to sort of see by show of hands, um, and you might have your hands up three times. That's cool. Who um, supplies to the farmers' markets? Yeah, that's it. Who supplies to restaurants? and who supplies to supermarkets. Okay. Lovely. That's great. Um, so, um, in this discussion, um, I think we'll just go with questions and see where that takes us. And, um, um, yeah, so any questions from the floor? panel? Yeah, go. Yeah. Uh, hi. Um, specifically David, I just
4: wondered if you could tell us a bit more about how it would be best to work with
5: restaurants or um, sort of engage that initial... Conversation
0: around, you know, I've got this beautiful local product and I'd like
2: to, you know, get it on your menu basically. Can I repeat the question so people can hear uh, it? Uh, basically, is how how to engage with the chef or the restaurant to get your product in there, into the restaurant. Um, finding a time to speak to a chef can be fairly tricky. They always seem to be time poor, they're in their own little welds in their boxes. Of a kitchen, um, they can seem fairly arrogant because they 're just doing their job trying to get ready for service, so picking the right time for a chef is always fairly important, either by ringing the restaurant and getting um, a verbal time to meet them or by emailing. Um, we normally meet people after service between probably two thirty and four o 'clock for product, uh, and but also saying that people just walk in and say, I've got um, a month's worth of fruit coming off our trees. Do you want it? And we never say no. I don't say no, because that's what I want. Um, <laughs> engaging with them, it, it's also, you've got to find the right restaurant and the right chef. A lot of chefs don't really care about small product because it's really hard to handle. You know, they will have a a menu running and the product that we might get might only run for a week. So it's, it's, it's having that consistency of the product or you find a chef in a restaurant who has the flexibility to just use that product for the time it's around. So seasonality of a product is fairly important, but also if it's a small run product, There are chefs and restaurants out there who will just use that product for the time it's there. Um, There's some really
1: good groups of chef tables in the region as well, and so these chefs from the region who meet on a regular
5: basis and that, if you were to approach one of those groups, they
2: in Barossa Valley um, Mark McNamara is running the chef's table um, it's, it's only been going for about two months um, and part of of that group is Sam Smith who's my head chef up in um, Barossa Valley he is going to start talking to farmers and growers and On the tuesday night when all the chefs get together they're going to invite a grower in when we're when i was down on the flurry peninsula with fino down here we would have chefs tables and we would invite growers in so we could get a better understanding of basically what the grower needs from a restaurant so we can have this relationship that works for both parties pretty much and also understanding how the product is growing, having a better understanding, and, and knowing what is coming through in a month's time, knowing what's coming through in three months' time, so the chefs can actually plan around the product coming through. So people who are organised drop us off a, a list of what's coming through so we can start planning a, a menu around that, and then we can give them a good understanding of how much product we'll need weekly, and then working around how we get it to our restaurant and the best days to get it.
4: Um, the chef's table, is that a, just a regional thing or is that
2: one in the city? I don't know about the city. It's, regions are better because there is a closer community. I'm not sure whether Adelaide has that closeness of community. In chefs, they all seem to hate each other. <laughs> So they don't get together and talk, which is a real shame. <laughs> uh, yeah, just your
0: hand up and then the... It was great yesterday. Really impressive. I, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the, the management
5: structure, how you accept or,
1: or find storeholders, how you managing that mix. Sure. So um, about um, how we find storeholders and h- how to apply that sort of um, thing. Is there a paid person managing Sure, sure. So, um, Wollonga, at most farmers markets, I think, you know, depending upon the size, have some paid staff. Um, we have the equivalent of two full-time um, staff. So, um, myself, um, Richard, and Richard might like to put his hand up there. Richard Bennett um, is the operations manager for Wollonga. So, Richard's role um, is really in that stall procurement. So, look, looking at the applications, um, going out and conducting visits. Um, at farms and audits, so that the authenticity um, that we go out and when we're you know, talking about the market and selling, you know, trying to encourage people to come, that we can put hand on heart and say, you know, we're an authentic farmer's market. Um, and then we have, you know, we have lots of volunteers and that sort of thing. Um, the application process um, is managed by a stallholder committee. So we have a, a volunteer board of eight. Um, we have five stallholder representatives on our board and four community members. Um, and then there's various subcommittees. And it's a, a committee um, of about five, I think, um, the stallholder committee that look at the applications, look at what we've already got in the market, you know, ha- how do we you know, because obviously competition is good. Um, probably uh, two and a half years ago, we had our two meat stalls, um, for example, and we now have four, um, with a fifth coming on soon. Um, Chris sitting up the back there. Um, Chris and Bridget are the latest recipients of our Farmers Market Scholarship. Um, so, yeah, it's a, a bit of a balancing act, really. Does that answer your question? Um, if I say something,
4: um, just talking from everyone... Over the weekend, um, I think I'll say our market, our London market, really stands out in that um, Richard and Jenny are very, you know, if we've got selling crops, we ha- selling carrots, we have to prove we're growing carrots, um, you know, which I think is a really good differentiation compared to other markets that um, I've heard of that you guys um, sell to. That you know, they're yeah, still half. Not
0: with you guys. So it's the authenticity. Yeah, that's the yeah.
4: authenticity. That's the signature to the family I think that's probably why we do get um, we build relationships with our customers and you tell them, Well, our carrots um, sorry, no carrots this week and you know, they'll buy something else or that like, can't wait let us move about the carrots. Um I think it's really something different from what I've heard of the other markets, so it's something to really be proud of.
0: Yeah, so that, that markets stand, stand behind the authenticity and that there's that process, that validation, I think is really, really important. Um,
4: Alessandro, yeah. It, oh, isn't it? Oh, sorry, yeah, you. Me. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jenny, it's another question for you. We, we're in the Ross Valley and we're, we're, we're spot holders at the Ross Valley Farmers Market. Um, at the moment, for our business, we're producers.
1: Um, you know, we're questioning whether or not the market is a viable option for our day. You know, like yeah, if you yeah. want to pay yourself. <laughs> yeah, so it's a great way for us to meet people, uh, other, you
4: know, people who eat our products. Um, but I, I, in your presentation, one, yesterday I was at the markets and it was amazing and then talking to other egg producers and hearing the volume that they're pushing through on they're selling at markets and kind of like heartbroken in the market, <laughs> you know. Um, but, you know, I, one thing you said is it's the market, it's the management's responsibility to get people through the door and it's our responsibility to sell to them. I feel like in the Barossa, particularly, that, that that is how do we hold management accountable to that is one question. And the other question is when we're looking at getting into other markets and say for the Adelaide Farmers Market, we've got farmers who have 10, 15, 20,000 hens does the farmers market have a responsibility for defining the types of farmers that they're they're engaging with? Like, is there a standard that we're kind of with now? And, and I'm, I'm not kind of just saying, how can we compete with that? And say Adelaide, for example, and how do we engage with the governance structures to say, as market storeholders, you know, like 50% of the storeholders at um, Ross Valley Farms market value-added products and the farmers are leaving, you know? It's, so, how do, how do we help those
1: negotiations? This um, firstly, on the um, the farmer's market re- responsibility question of bringing people to the market, um, I would say that, um, and, and being held accountable for that, bringing people to the market, particularly for the first time, um, once people are there and forget to get them to come back, um, they need to have had a good experience, purchased great product and, and that sort of thing. Um, Richard, I don't know if you want to get involved in the conversation on that around... Um, the, the volume of...
5: I guess lucky in a way to that scale and stuff like that, where our market's built on a, a regional basis yeah. in terms of, that you guys are out of that. Um, so it's open pretty well to anyone in our region that really is, you know, wanting to get involved. But... Um, so the scale thing isn't doesn't come into contention. In fact, we're probably a bit scale poor, if you know what I mean, like in terms of businesses in our area. So, <coughs> um, so that takes care of that um, side of your question, I think, but um, there's something else too.
0: But, um, i ask a supplementary question to that is, how much external marketing does belong to farmers' market management do of the market versus individual
1: storeholders
0: oh, building social media?
1: Um, So, some of our storeholders are very active on social media, others not at all, um, and talking generally sort of around um, the country that, you know, it sort of, it varies. Um, As far as the things that we do, um, obviously social media, um, some local publications, so monthly, um, or not monthly, like magazines like the Flura Living magazine. Um, We've done some different things in the last two years. We entered the Tourism Awards, so, um, and have an um, event that we've had. We participated in, um, you know, contributed some funds with MasterChef to bring that to the region, but also um, to the market, Ainsley Harriet, so a, a guest chef and a program that will be on TV later this year, um, and winning the tourism awards and, and doing things locally to try and capture... Obviously, visitors coming to the market is happens naturally, but we also do need to drive that. But to get the local people that... Um, i 've attended event other markets so events that are held region you know in the region um, at wineries etc had a stall there and did cheese platters with a um, with one of our producers and engage with local people about the market and they 'll say oh so when's the market on once a month and we'll go, every week so it 's a constant um, you know sell into the community when the farmers market started in Wollonga 17 and a half years ago there was a daggy food land in McLarenvale or a daggy Bylow in McLarenvale we now have around 15 pretty fancy supermarkets um, or we have two in McLarenvale um that are that are brand new and you know so the whole op- the competition has changed a lot the money that we have to spend to market and advertise the market hasn't changed a lot. So it's looking for different ways, whether it's, um, you know, talking to people, using social media, letterbox drop, you know, we sent out some calendars to the local community um, to try and remind, you know, stick it on their fridge and remind them that we're there. Mm, yeah, changing it up and that sort of thing. And well, to keep it fresh and
0: vital is really important. Maybe I'll uh, invite a question. Um, from the floor, and particularly has anybody in, any questions to Nick in terms of the no, supermarket yeah. scenario. Have we got a supermarket? Yeah, no, Martin. Neil, um, how important do you think it is to uh, the operation of a
5: supermarket like yours to have uh, people of this scale represented in the store? Does it give you a point of difference or an angle, or is it,
4: you are know, doing it
3: because you're a good citizen? <laughs> no, I'm not a good citizen. Um, not at all. Can you the yeah, so the question is, am I a good citizen? The answer is no. That was the first question. Uh, the, the second question was, is it a good idea for the supermarket or, or why does the supermarket, in our case, support 56 local producers? Um, I think, well, we, we, we turn out to be a cooperative. Uh, our supermarket's owned by a cooperative. So we're member based and, and we're community driven uh, for that. And so we're there to support the local community. So it's in our ethos as a cooperative to support as many local people as we can. That's why we're there. So we've got 56 local producers. We've got 30 service providers. We employ 300 people from the local community. That's why we exist. So for us, it's a little bit different in that regard. But in a general sense, Michael, from my perspective as a retailer, is it a good idea to have the small producers? Absolutely. Everybody can buy beaker cheese everywhere in the world. And it tastes the same. Okay, but if you want to have something that actually is exciting, interesting, can provide a sense of discovery to to an unassuming mum with two kids hanging off the trolley, kind of as she's doing the shopping, then you have to go to the small producers. You have to create, I I used the term distinctive earlier. You know, we've got a... a, New Rip is a town of 6,300 people, so it's not a very big town. We've got this massive food land because we draw from all over the place. People drive from the Riverland to shop. That's because of the distinctiveness of our offer. We've got more cheeses than any other place outside of the Adelaide Central Market. Okay, and we've got the cheese room, we do all of that. We employ five butchers in our meat area. You know, it's a big thing. That's not traditional supermarket. That's distinctive. We have a bakery. We sold 10,000 hot cross buns. We baked 10,000 hot cross buns going into Easter. You know, uh, that's distinctive. And if we can do that with, with local people, with with whatever product that they've got, then that's really important because that creates the texture in our retail office. So I think for any retailer, any retailers looking for that in a broad sense as a, as a merchandise strategy... So I think that's what drives us, and, and that's certainly what's driving me at the Valley, not because I'm a nice person.
2: Just a supplementary comment or question, and, and you'll
0: probably see this is a bit somewhat loaded, um, <laughs> is that, therefore, the systems that and mechanisms for operating for
4: Metcash equally apply to, you know, small people who can't respond to those questions. So the extent to which a supermarket has to uh, uh, be a little
3: bit more forgiving for for the ability to make those questions. You know, some are not negotiable, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, so the question is, you know, we deal with Metcash, we deal with the big guys, Conga and all those large companies, and they have mechanisms and they can deal with us, that's no problem. How do we ensure that that doesn't stop us from dealing with the little guys? You know, how, how do we make sure that they can also sort of step up to the plate with that sort of thing? Now, uh, I'll give two examples. One is in relation to invoicing. We have a lot of small suppliers that provide us with handwritten invoices. Okay? Um, that's, that, that's inefficient for our business. You know, we get electronic invoices from the large suppliers and they feed straight into our systems. The system compares the, the invoice of the stock received and the pricing with the order and the prices and so on. We get an exception report, we understand exactly what's going on, the, the system updates the stock, you know, and, and never, never touched by human hand. That's called efficiency and we need that uh, these days because our margins are, are getting squeezed. So what we're doing in relation to invoicing is we are of the view that every person that is capable of growing something or making something that they could supply to us knows what an Excel spreadsheet is. That may not be the case, but it's actually, if that that is the case, it's not so hard to learn. So we're changing, we're getting our computer system varied so that we can accept someone creating, giving them an Excel template, and then they can create an invoice on that by putting in the quantities received. They email that to us, and our system will automatically open the email, download the invoice, and put it in as an electronic invoice. So we're doing that because we want to continue to do business with the small with, with, with the small producers, because it's really important to us that that happen. So we're working on that now. We've just created the, we are just creating the templates for that. Then the software company's got to do the mapping and all that sort of stuff, so it'll be a few months, but eventually that will happen. In terms of some of the other things, like we have a receiving dock, where stuff comes in the back door at Foodland, um, you know, and we get lots of trucks come in there every day. Um, you can't pedestrian access that because of work, health and safety issues. You can't actually walk in there. There's no pedestrian access. So if someone wants to deliver to us, they have to be willing to drive their car in or their whatever it is. So we had a recent experience with a flower producer from the Brasso Valley, a local flower producer. She was actually, the flowers are right at the front of the supermarket. She was just walking in the front door and putting a stock in. Then we didn't know what she delivered. and A paper invoice would appear some other place. So that, that wasn't really good. We didn't really like that. So we've said to her, sorry, but you actually have to deliver it into the back door so we can count the stock and receive the piece of paper and know what we're receiving. And it's, just, it's just how we work. And if you're not willing to do that, that's your choice. But, you know, we're, but if you can't do that, we can't accept stuff coming in the front door. So, I mean, we'll work with people as much as we can, but we won't vary the regular our regulatory requirements to accommodate people that, that aren't willing to do that.
0: We've got about three minutes left before we need to go back to the main building. So, one short question and a short answer. Who? yeah, maybe, yeah. Well,
2: well, well,
4: it's sort of, there's two questions, but th- first one is competition in markets. How much competition is good before mm-hmm. it gets to the point where it's not sustainable for the stallholders that are set, you know, there's. Four stallholders selling carrots. You know, at what point is competition too? You know, too many of the same product where it's not good for the producer. Um, and the next, the next question for the chef is: um, we, we have a huge focus and value on um, nose to tail consumption of the products we produce. Uh, we struggle to have that conversation with the sh- like chefs that we've conversed with in the past that just want five kilos of ribeye a whole heap of i-fill it and all the top end stones well, oh, hang on a minute, we've, then we've, that's going to take X amount of bodies of beef or whatever, what do we do with the rest?
0: Shall we start with the competition question and then answer? Sure. Yeah. I don't know who needs to answer that. I've got to everybody
1: here. Um, So um, I guess Well, speaking from Wollonga as far as competition goes. Um, we don't see any of our fresh guys. We see them coming, but they're, they're not going, which is, which is good. Um, not taking... A lot of traders at Wollonga also trade in the city, so I guess they're growing um, to demand. So we wouldn't want another... I think we're at the right side sort of the right level with our fresh produce at the moment, would you say, Richard? Yeah, I
5: think Trevor's really talking about me.
1: <laughs> not, not talking Tom. about carrots, really.
5: <laughs> I know, but I think he was trying out
3: a bit of a <laughs> 30, 30, 30, 30. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I think that we've had a situation in
5: the past in the market where there was a lack of competition and barriers to new people getting into the market. And um, Jenny and I, and back by the board, have tried to break those walls down a bit and in the process of doing that. Um, obviously, you no, know, we don't want five butchers in the market at once. And um, at the moment, I have a vision of maybe, you know, two people a week with, uh, we'll say, you know, steady, steady on. And this goes to the question I think you were trying to ask there. There is... It is a, it's a grey area. And the, what we keep doing is just talking to people and just seeing where we're going. And if things get really out of balance when we do something about it, we have done things about it, and we're in the process of doing other things at the market about some of the stores in the market, that will do change that dynamic. So, I don't know, um, it's a difficult thing, and we don't want people to be crushed when they come to the market, you know, in turn, because that's not what it's about, it's a retail environment, but can I just make one point?
1: We know that if we have a very bad day,
5: but I'm going to a thousand people in, we, there are no exceptions to people saying, I've had a good day in the fresh producers. The value adders will go, oh, I've had a shit day. Mm-hmm. That's terrible. Oh, I don't mm-hmm. even know. But the fresh people are a thousand people. Will you tell me we've got towns here, there, and everywhere, all of them have many more than a thousand people? In to my understanding, that thing about the, the, near the point that Neil made about the fastest growing segment, you can see why it's a fast growing segment. And, you know, I think, you know, in terms of food security, from my point of view, that's where we should be going, to local markets.
0: Unfortunately, because we're part of a bigger program out there, we have to stop uh, the conversation here. I'm sure the conversation can continue individually, walking back to the, uh, the main hall. And with these events, as always time is the, you know, the horrible factor. We're going to stop. So I would like to thank the panel for giving us a really good insight into the three models, and yeah. the message for all of us is that we need to do our research, we need to work out who we want to supply, when we want to supply, how we want to work our businesses and then have the conversations with people like our panel to see where we really fit, feel comfortable and are happy and stay happy and you know the research I think and the conversation are the really important bits, so thank you and please follow us to the main hall if you have time, there will be a brief session